Hello and welcome to the Max Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. This is the second half of our special year-end episode. We posted the first half last week. Enjoy the show. What was the best musical you saw this year, Liz? All right. Well, this year I actually saw way more musicals than I normally do, so I had a lot to choose from, which was kind of nice. And I'm going to go with K-pop because mm-hmm. I mean it was it was fantastic. Even if it wasn't the best musical I saw here, it was the one that after I saw it, I had to talk about it with everybody. We really had to break it down. We did a whole bonus episode about it. They, I I couldn't stop rolling it all around in my mind. So even if it wasn't. The perfect musical, it was the one that I couldn't get out of my brain, and so that's what I'm going to go with. Perfect. I'm going to go with uh, The View Upstairs, which was at the Lynn Redgrave Theater. Um, It was off-Broadway, and it takes place in the 1970s. Uh, It was a new musical, and basically um, this young this young gay guy he moves to a new city in new orleans and he purchases this space um and he has all this these plans but he can't quite get his life together and somehow through the <laughs> device of wonderful theater um he's transported back in time or the spirits come to him and kind of share their stories um it was a vibrant gay club where people can could find a safe haven um until it was destroyed and so they just kind of share their stories the set was amazing you just walked right into the bar and uh the audience interaction between the actors the way they played with everyone was really great and they showcased a they they showcased a lot of different um types of people not just one gay stereotype um so i enjoyed you know because it was a new musical and i enjoyed the experience of the production Cool. We would be remiss if we didn't mention Max Vernon worked yeah. on K-pop and The View yeah. Upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, thank you. Max and Vernon also, had a hell of a year. But yeah. he wasn't the only um, yeah. composer in K-pop. Oh, no, there were right. tons, but he's a connective yeah. tissue. No, I know, but yeah. I just, yeah. can we name the other composer? I also say The View Upstairs uh, is getting a lot of regional traction right now. Yeah, because I said it was good. <laughs> because of you. Thank you. What, what, what was that supposed to be? Like, missing the black women, right? Thank yes. you. Thank yeah. you for doing that. Black well. women, yes. yes. Um, Helen Park. Helen, Helen Park. Park. Thank you. All right, Patty. Hello, Dolly. It's got to be Hello, Dolly for me. I saw both Bet and Donna, and they were wonderful in their own special ways. I mean, it is like you're at a Bet Midler show, and I think if that's not your, what you're expecting I could get being a little jarred by it um I saw her in I'll Eat You Last the Sue Menger's play where she was just a play um and that was like enough for me to see Bet there but then to have her come back in a musical which she hadn't done on Broadway since her debut in Fiddler on the Roof she has a special tony award for adding luster to the broadway season and i'm just glad that she brought it back for us to see and i have a theory that you grew up in a barber house or a bet house and we were a (laughs) bet house and um i just loved it so much and i saw it with my friend nick who i just lost and um, it was really special <laughs> you have to ask for no, I appreciate that. Um, I am going to pick Sinking Ink, and 
I would drop this microphone if it wasn't so sensitive after saying that. Uh, it opened up Flea's new space, directed by the artistic head of the Flea, Nigel Smith. And it's one of the few plays I've seen in recent New York history that was kind of dismissed by most of the critics who are all white men, but it was kept going by the passionate fervor of the audience. And I've never seen a play get that much support from the black theater community mm. and social media, people saying, I'm going to see it a third time, I'm seeing it a fourth time, who's going with me? The fact that it combined not only uh, Voltron, Orisha, Nigerian myths, uh, and also sci-fi, Wu-Tang Clan, all these different things into a father-son story and a classic Karate Kid story about someone learning to become a master at rapping and then actually having freestyle, improvised rap at the end mixed in with the set rap. Amazing performances, the movement, the dancing in it, and then the way they interacted with the audience and intermission, the DJ mother plays uh, Little Kim and classic hip hop. It's weird to say that's classic hip hop <laughs> songs, and people are on stage like rapping to it. People in the audience connecting, and it's it's one of those plays that overcomes the white heteronormative patriarchy of New York theater critics on the passion of the audience, and it's the way theater should be. Mm. Uh, that we don't have to listen to the old tastemakers who are dying or already dead in their soul already. We can actually make new work and receive the support of young people who are below the age of 95, which in theater is young, mm -hmm. and who are people of color <laughs> from all different walks of life and who are connecting to it. And if you're not connecting to the cypher, then you just get kicked out, like in, like in rap. If you're not in the cypher, the cypher just rejects you, gets spat back out of the system. So uh, it, it's... It's transformational, and I hope it goes around in regional theaters. I know it started at Houston um, at the Alley Theater in development uh, with one of your contemporaries who used to work at the public, That's and right. I hope, hopefully it'll go to a bunch of other theaters. Sinking Ink. Lindsay knows that making me pick a musical is like the ultimate Sophie's choice. So <laughs> yeah. I am yeah. gonna quickly mention my favorite 39 musicals. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, there's two musicals that I saw for the first time last year and they made it to Broadway this year and they're basically a riff on the same story of just, just be fucking nice to people. <laughs> it's come from away and the band's visit and mm. I hope they run forever because our soul needs them. Yeah. yeah. Band's visit is really special. It's, it's, um, it's amazing that a musical that kind of nothing happens is as powerful as it is. But everything um, happens. Everything happens. It's, but mm -hmm. it's, it's such a delicate, it's not, it's not showy. And that there's something, musicals always feel like they have to be like big and broad. And fans of this are like, no, 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 just come here. Let's just talk for a second. Um, but my, my favorite musical of the year, uh, unreservedly, is Sinking Inc. Um, and I say that uh, uh, clarifying with a little bit of, of bias because Sinking Inc., the playwright, um, his name is Sangu Jikam, who also stars in it. And Sangu was um, actually was in the Emerging Writers Group, which is a, um, a, a playwriting cohort that I run at the public. And he was actually in the group, and he wrote, the, he wrote this show um, in, in, that, um, in that group. So I kind of I got to watch this show get born, and then move and kind of grow up and you know you know 
undergo workshop after workshop, go down to Houston, grow even more, and then come back to New York. And it's, uh, I, I can't add much to what Oren said um, other than it is a musical. It's not, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a what do you call it a musical? It's an experience. It's, it is storytelling that is rarely seen in New York theater. I think about this show actually in the same breath that I think about Diana O's show, in the sense of what, what, what it does to invite an audience in to participate in the storytelling. Um, I am incredibly proud uh, that it has had that sort of late-breaking you know, surge in sales purely on word of mouth and people saying, no, we want more of this. This is what the future of the American theater is. And I just couldn't be happier for and proud of, prouder of Sangu. And it's just an exquisite show. I hope, it, hope people get to see it when it comes back. Cool. Ben? My favorite musical of this year was Ghost Quartet, um, mm. which I think technically was, it started in a previous year, but it was on this year at New York Theater Workshop, and I was one of the lucky people to get through the crush on their website to get tickets. <laughs> um, it's uh, by Dave Malloy. Um, it's him and a bunch of other excellent musicians doing a song cycle about death. A lot of it's in the dark. They give you whiskey. It's this like gorgeous community feeling like album you're you're sitting there and you're doing an album with cool people um and uh honorable mentions go to sinking ink and k-pop which were both excellent um and i also want to give two honorable mentions to plays with music <laughs> if we want to call them that um my lingerie play mm-hmm. hard to cl- classify but let's call it a play with music for this category sure. and uh indecent which again, play from last year. Oh but yeah. Yeah. yeah, a play yeah. whose musical numbers yeah. are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's on Netflix. I think. Beautiful. Oh wow. Isn't it? Uh, no, but it keeps coming back on the PBS website. Yeah, it's right. great. great performances. Oh. Yeah. Ago. yeah, great and performances. Broadway HD as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. Broadway HD. Broadway HD. HD. Show. It'll be on Broadway mm-hmm. HD in February, I think. Yes. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Sweet. Okay, what was the best play you saw this year, starting with Penny Maria? So I am so happy to say that the best show, the best play I saw this year was Her Portmanteau at New York Theater Workshop. And I'm so excited because we have a new cycle of plays for black people. And specifically, this one is about immigrants. And I come from a family of immigrants, people who came to this country for a better life. Um, so I can't wait to see all the rest of the shows. But Her Portmanteau, I mean, it dealt with immigration, assimilation, uh, sisterhood. You know, how do you connect with your family who you've been separated from for so long? And that whole kind of culture clash, but how you try to find the right spots to mill because you are family um i thought i mean the the play the writer the playwriting mofaniso udofia like she's just so phenomenal and i can't wait to see the rest of her work it was a beautiful production and i actually saw uh the first show um sojourners at the playwrights realm so this year i got to see both of them back to back and i think the entire um cycle is coming together beautifully and i'm just like ready if you know anyone wants to give me comps for the entire cycle now (laughs) sign me up i'll be there cool um i think my favorite play i actually saw i think more plays than musicals this year which is um a flip-flop for me but i think it has a lot to do with this podcast because i did two two review episodes and five out of the six shows were plays um, not the one that I'm going to say, though, which was Torch Song. Um, I really, really loved it. Um, I think 
I would have loved to see the original just to see, to contrast. Um, it obviously was Torched on Trilogy. They tightened it. It's one piece now. Um, I think it's one of those shows that's a period piece, but is still feels very relevant, which is like interesting and also a little sad. Um, and all the performances were amazing. And um, I'd say a close runner up was Charm at, at MCC. I thought that was also fantastic and voices that need to be heard. And hopefully there's more of that happening uh, in the coming seasons. I'm conflicted because I already mentioned Sinking Inc. And I already mentioned Schoolgirl, which could easily be the best plays of the year. So I'll throw out a third option, which is Burning Door by Belarus Free Theater. Mm. Uh, strange. I've never seen their work before. So I got a ticket for this. And I don't even know if you could describe it as a play as opposed to a variety of exercises involving torture and philosophy and uh, then a talk back in the middle of it. Hmm. And then it goes back into the play and they ask the audience, like, what do you think so far? And oh, no. I think I asked like three <laughs> questions because everyone was stunned. So I was like, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, what's going on here? And they'd be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then I'd be like, I have another question. What can we do as a country, given your background in an oppressive regime? Obviously, mm. we're not there yet in the United States, but how to fight it with theater, how to fight it with movement and motion. And there was a lot of nudity. There was a lot of like ripping of clothes and this visceral energy that combined work table, except mm-hmm. it's bodies that are being ripped and clothes that are being ripped combined with this political urgency that is steeped in a historical precedent of Dostoevsky and quoting all these philosophers mixed with these sketches of two guys sitting on a toilet talking about you know, their stock options in Russia. And it was visceral. I don't quite get what it meant, and I don't think I'm supposed to. Uh, it's one of those things that haunts in the imagination long after it leaves. And, and to some to some respect, that's more admirable than a naturalistic story that I can wrap up in my mind, figure out, and then go home and not think about again. My favorite play this year was called Omega Kids by Noah Meese. And it was the kind of play that I went into not knowing what to expect. And by the end, I left feeling such profound nostalgia for being the comic book obsessed teenager in love with my best friend that I never was, if that makes sense. (laughs) And when a play makes you, you know, feel melancholy for something that you never had in your life, I think it's just like something magical. And the first thing I did... And I don't mean that as, as you know, like any sort of like revenge. But the first thing I did after seeing the play was like called my ex. And I was like, you have to go see this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to do a quick round of honorable mentions before I name my favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I just want to say On the Exhale by Martine Zimmerman, uh, which was a solo show um, about a woman who loses her son in a school shooting and then falls in love with a gun. Um, that was is the best play about gun violence I've ever uh, seen. 
uh, I will I'll just say schoolgirls because uh, everyone should say it three times. <laughs> and, and then I will also mention uh, a piece called uh, Minor Character uh, by uh, ensemble, Brooklyn-based ensemble called New Saloon. They actually have a show coming to the Bushwick Star um, in January uh, called Cute Activist. But this show was Uncle Vanya, but it used several different translations kind of all mashed together, one of which was the Chekhov run through Google Translate. And it was, it's, it's, I, I, I've, I've had a year to think about this because this was in January when I saw it. And I was like, no, I think that's the best checkoff I, uh, performance hmm. I've ever seen. Uh, but my favorite, um, and, and this is just my thing on the podcast, I guess, this week, which is just agreeing with other people, uh, Sojourners and Her Portmanteau by Emphony uh, Sodofia. Um, which are extraordinary, extraordinary plays, um, as Penny Maria said. Um, I also, this fall, got the really beautiful opportunity to see readings of all of the plays oh, that have wow. been written so far. Oh, um, fancy. At, at, at New Dramatists, and it was two, two days. That was my spot you took. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I spent two days marathoning through all of the plays, which I'd read before, but just to see them on their feet... Um, was extraordinary. I think that what Emphony, the, the the project is called the Ufot Cycle. Um, Ufot is the name of the 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 sort of the uh, the family that um, is sort of figuring itself out through generations in both Nigeria and the United States, and over the course of several several decades. And um, yeah, and it's 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 going to be a nine play cycle. And uh, there haven't been nine plays written yet, but there will be. <laughs> and it that was kind of I, going back to the best moments we had. Just actually sitting there and and reckoning with what I I do not think is hyperbole to say sitting there and watching sort of like the very beginnings of Emphoniso's genius. Um, I think that when these plays are done and ready, I think it's going to shake this town mm -hmm. so hard. And I I'm I'm counting down the days till um, we all get to to be there. So yeah, those were my favorite. Exactly. August Wilson who? Yeah. <laughs> We're over that. We'll yeah. Yeah. He'll always be on. there. He'll always be there. <laughs> but we got no, Emphoniso is is yes. one of the best writers of her generation. She's the this the, the the tones and styles that she's playing with in these plays that are so different and it's just it's incredible. Incredible. This is a really unfair year to have to pick one play because it's been a really good year for theater. Um, I have seen so many plays that I loved this year. Um, but I picked one, and it was The Antipodes um, by Annie Baker, mm. which is, um, it's such a mind fuck. Like, <laughs> it, it, it takes place in a writer's room uh, of a television show that has no concept, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to make this television show about, and they're just telling personal stories and talking about weird shit. And clearly things are going south, and then it gets weird, and then it gets non-realistic, and it just it it goes completely insane. And I think it's uh, it might be her best play if John isn't. And it was a joy to see, and there was so much Lacroix that I wish I could drink on stage. <laughs> but uh, it it is almost at a dead tie with Mary Jane, uh, with Bull in a China mm -hmm. Shop, and with Porto, which is fortunately we get to see again. Um, and honorable mentions for uh, what the Constitution means to me. Oh yeah, uh, the Model American, which was at Williamstown and had better come to New York immediately by Justin Kim, who did K-pop, uh, and uh, the Rape of the Sabine Women by Grace B. Mathias. Hmm. Too good of a year. Too good of a year, particularly for theater by women. Yeah, there were a lot of really great plays. Also, I want to shout out to the uh, the Antipodes table f with the food. Where did the Thai food come from? Where did it come from? Where. 
There's a question that we can't answer on this podcast. It came from inside your heart. It's so good. God, it <laughs> was great. Great design. Great design work in Tiffany's. Lila Neugebauer. Um, Neugebauer. God Both. Damn it. Everybody is everything. <laughs> I'm going to go with cost of living at MTC, um, which uh, Martina Mayock? Mayock. Mayock, excuse me. Um, that was a show that I went in with a pretty low expectation. MTC is always sort of a grab bag to me, uh, how I'm going to feel about Rhymes it. Rhymes week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but like what a beautiful small play about people and the way people need each other. Um and you add on top of that that they cast disabled actors in those roles. They were not able-bodied actors playing at being uh, in wheelchairs, which I always appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, it also was the only moment in the theater that I had this year where there was a ga- the audience gasp. Everyone oh. is nodding because you know the part I'm talking oh. about. Where the, everyone went, oh, and leaned forward. You know, and God, if you can do that, you you nailed it. Like you you can walk out with your hands up, and <laughs> and you know you you've killed it. Um, like just what a fantastic fantastic show. Um, I loved it. Are you going to say something? Jack, holding the microphone to your mouth? No, this is just how I hold oh, my microphone. Oh, you're just in the ready position. <laughs> yeah, I le- that Thank play you. was fantastic. Thank you. That was in my honorable mentions. I didn't know we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Bend the rules. Everybody makes up their own rules. Okay, <laughs> the next question, and just a few people have to address this one. What was your personal ambition for theater in 2017, and did you achieve it? I did go back and listen to our responses, Whoa. and I have them here. Whoa. Starting with Jose, explore more theater by Latino playwrights. Oh, I go first? Did you? I guess. I don't remember. Like, I saw so many things that I I guess. I mean, I made it a point to, oh, this person looks like me, sounds like they look like me, so I'll go see their show. Mm. So I guess I did. Maybe not as, you know, like, diligently as I said last year, but yeah, I definitely did. Cool. Liz, see more theater that's not in English. I did. Well, considering I was starting with a zero, um, I went to (laughs) what I would say two and a half. So I saw Girl X, which was in Japanese. Um, I saw En Nombre de Salome. And then K-pop. Well, for, K-pop was partially not in English, so I'll, I'll go with that. Um, two, two and a half is more than zero. <laughs> I did it. That's true. Awesome. And Jack. Jack had two. Read more plays by non-MFA playwrights and write a play. Mm-hmm. Oh right! I was supposed to write a play. Whoops! Uh, time. I did. Yeah. That was yeah, that was more of a professional Two goal. Um, is, uh, for those who don't know, I I just my job at the public is reading a lot of plays, um, and uh, yeah, I did that. I was very happy to. It meant that I was not going to the tried and true quote unquote pools where you find great writers. Um, it took some effort, and that effort was really fun. And really joyous, and I've met uh, writers and and now friends from that sort of those efforts that I'm I'm just I it's I'm like why didn't I do this all the time before? Um, and then write a play. I did not write a play, and I I I I but I yeah I'm trying to remember why I said that. You said that because. <laughs> <laughs> you said that you think that every casting director right. should go on an audition annually. Right. And in your oh. role as somebody who is uh, 
I don't know how you would describe your own role, but you thought that the equivalent of that for you would be to actually write a play. Yeah, I'm sitting there judging people's plays all the damn time. I should just actually write a play and then and then, and then invite a bunch of playwrights to come see it. Yes, it and was, I, I offered a, uh, to have Max Moo host the reading. And then I totally <laughs> forgot to do that. So let me let me uh, let me get an extension on that one. Okay, write a musical about me. I'll write a musical about Jose. Thank you. Well, that's Amazing. perfect timing Great. because what is your personal ambition for the theater in 2018? And we'll just start with you, Jack. Uh, see more shows with Jose. Mm. Um, uh, my personal ambition for the new year um, is to uh, expand my um, I, my personal definitions of what theater is. Um, and try to some of the best storytelling and theatrical moments that I had uh, in 2017 were moments that were not in traditional theatrical spaces. I don't mean like site specific, like we're gonna do this play in a sh- shipping crate for some goddamn reason. I mean like actually go uh, trying to expand, you know, get more in tune with other forms that are not places that theater scouts tend to go to find new work. Similarly to like the the less MFA thing from last year, just constantly trying to expand what I think a play is, what I think, how a story is told, um, and find a lot of wonderful, surprising, gorgeous things that way. Cool. Ben? My ambition for this past year, I feel I succeeded on because it was be more discerning with the plays I pick. Like, don't go to as many things that I'm like, why am I going to this? Like, do I don't really want to see this. And I feel like I succeeded. I saw only 175 plays this year. Ooh. Right. Um, but that's less than in previous years. And now that I have done that and somewhat succeeded, I want to start saving more money. <laughs> because <laughs> it is expensive. It is easily my biggest mm-hmm. like personal line item. And I spend... Too much money on theater. Too much money on theater. Are but you on play by play? I don't know what that is. That's a theater papering service. It's four dollar tickets. Mm. Well, I'm gonna be on it now. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> theater Mania, TDF, and Play by Play. You pay a hundred dollars for each membership, but then in the long run, you save tons of money. And ninety percent of the shows I'm seeing are through those three servers services, nice. mm-hmm. or just reviewing them, so it's free. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's why helpful. I haven't seen Schoolgirls yet because I keep waiting with a friend for that, and no, it's not happening. I'm, I'm waiting for a comp invite. Also, someone please invite me. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so when I first moved to New York, I didn't really know any companies in particular, but I knew people that I liked. And so I kind of followed them wherever I could follow them. And through them, I would meet new people and I would follow that person. And then I just started, I wanted to see the new stuff all the time. I wanted to see who's coming up next. Who's, you know, who's the new folks. Um, but when I go back every year and review my list of what I saw, I go, oh, yeah, that company was really cool. I wonder what they're doing now. So I think my goal is to not worry as much about seeing what's new, but seeing how these companies that I liked, uh, if they're still around, um, seeing how they've evolved. Like, I liked their work when it was new, so what are they doing now? And, you know, sort of revisiting the what sparked my interest when I was very new to theater in New York? Um, I'm going to say that I'm going to be a little more uh, selective in how I spend my discretionary income for shows when I don't get comps. Um, So usually if there's any show that's coming out that's for people of color, by people of color, intended for audiences of color, I run to see it. Um, I'm going to not do that 
for old shows <laughs> like you know august wilson no i'm going to support the katori hall shows mm-hmm. more and make an effort to investigate that instead of just you know spending my little bit seeing every everything i'm gonna sh- make my money you know count yeah um, my goal is to just become more present again. I feel like I kind of took the year off. Patty and Emily ended last December, and I we did a weekly podcast, and we saw and reviewed every Broadway musical and saw and reviewed as many other shows, plays uh, on and off Broadway as we could. So I was seeing a lot, and then I sort of had a hard time diving back in for many of the reasons that mostly monetary that you all said you know I was getting comps to all those shows I can't like go back to seeing 29 out of 40 Broadway shows in a season if I have to pay for all of them Mm -hmm. (laughs) which sucks because we all should be able to but um so you know just being more aware of again what shows are coming when they're coming on and off and off off and um being present in the theater scene again Mm. which this is helping with and i appreciate being a part of it because i love talking theater and uh just seeing more shows which is kind of the opposite of what a lot of you are saying but that's because i you know i saw a handful of shows this past year Mm. and that bums me out because i missed a lot um but what i saw was great Except 1984. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta throw that in there. I guess I would take the things I'm doing in theater, things I'm doing politically, and the things that I do spiritually and try to mesh them more so that they're not these three sort of separate uh, areas of my life. And that's my goal. So I have two plays coming up in 2018 one in North Carolina, one in Chicago. And for the North Carolina one, we're doing something with Black Lives Matter and police brutality because the play is about that. It's running on fire that was developed at the O'Neill the past year. And for the Chicago play, we have to figure out some movement to connect to that. And then uh, two possible plays, one that I just finished for Seattle Public Theater about the opiate addiction in America uh, that I went over there in Seattle in August to work on that hopefully can get done about rural Washington State and maybe we can connect to what's going on there and then a play that's being considered in London at Soho Theater that was developed here at National Black Theater about uh, an asylum for the black and politically insane in the future and finding a way to connect with the maybe Black Lives Movement in London or just finding a way to blend these things together more. Uh, so hopefully, you know, two is already guaranteed. Maybe it'll be three or four. And then in these different areas, we can pop in and do something with the community. So it isn't just about me getting a play produced. It's actually something else happening in the world. Okay, so it depends on who you're asking. I either have a very high or very low bar for my goal for next year. Because... Mm-hmm. You know, in the very wise words of Carlotta Campion in Follies, I made it <laughs> through all last year, and I'm here. Mm. So my goal is merely to stay alive, and that's really hard with, you know, the news, uh, waking up every day and just fearing that the world's going to be over tonight or tomorrow, that I'm going to go to a show, and by intermission, they're going to say, hey, we have to evacuate because we're being bombed right now. So I just want to stay, I just want to make it through 2018 
so I can see Kelly O'Hara and Kiss Me Kate in 2019. Mm. That's all I want. That was kind of a downer. <laughs> but but I, just get got real. I get it. I yeah. get it. Okay, well, our last question is, what is your hope for the theater community in 2018? Liz, why don't you start? All right. I'm sorry if anyone else is also going to echo this, but... You know, we've we've started a, a sexual harassment avalanche, um, and I think in the last couple of weeks, some of us, I certainly may, have been waiting for the theater to start naming names and and bringing bringing folks out to the light. And it hasn't happened yet. I know mm. that there's a lot of rumblings um, and fact checking and lawyer <laughs> lawyering and and all of that to brace for that. But I, I think we need to really talk openly about what's going on in our community. We got to name those names. We got to get those folks out and lift up the people whose careers have been stalled by these people. Mm. Um, I feel like that's the next step of it because we are discovering now how many voices are being silenced and we got to do something about that. Okay, Penny Maria. My hope uh, for the new year is, uh, it kind of touches on uh, some of the things we said tonight. I hope that we can start to shift away from um, focusing on revivals just for ticket sales and that we can kind of move more toward um, the a dollhouse part two model. Um, that way we can, you know, use topics that, audiences are already familiar with but then we also have a next level you know experience for people who want those new stories um and i just hope more uh producers creators theaters start thinking about something like that so that we can get away from what doesn't work and try to play more with what could possibly work better for everyone hmm. um yeah piggybacking off of what Liz said and what Jack said earlier is, you know, confronting the systemic racism and sexism within the industry and also how that affects the art that's being made and, um, you know, doing better just as, as much as we can um, because it does, it need, we can't think that we're above the problem. We are a part of the problem and, um, that's the only way we're going to change it is if we see that within ourselves. Yeah, if we keep supporting these shows that everyone knows, okay, that wasn't right when it was created. Mm -hmm. You know, why are we yeah, still supporting that? We need to right. change that. I'm just thinking about that because what do I want to see in theater in the new year? I feel like because we live in New York City, there's so much tremendously inspiring, great colorful, bold theater. And that's probably not the average experience for most theater goers. And because we like theater, we see a lot of it, mm. which probably isn't the average experience. I, I do think that I would like to see movements like Sinking Ink, where it's word of mouth mm. and the use of social media, of evil Facebook and Twitter, <laughs> which aren't, I'm joking, aren't really evil. They're just tools, they're devices. And it's great to see how grassroots movements in theater can drive a 
off-Broadway play. Maybe not a Broadway play just because of the logistics and how much it costs, but maybe. But right now, it could definitely drive a lot of off-off-Broadway, 99, 50-seat theater, just on the community getting tighter. And as the gap grows between the theater critics and the theater artists, the theater artists has to take it upon themselves to talk to the audience because the theater critics aren't doing as good a job as they could in transmitting that message and filtering what should or should not be seen and being a tastemaker. Now, because of social media, you kind of don't need them. They're not as important. They don't make or break a show unless it's Broadway, which is a different demo. But for younger plays, we can kind of take it upon ourselves to decide what's popular, what's critical and what's vital for us to see whether it involves racism sexism hashtag me too hashtag reclaiming my time hashtag black lives matter whatever whatever that thing is and blending it together maybe in some green mills kind of way ripping it from the pages and transforming it into poetry Uh, so that's what i'm looking forward to actually the use of technology in in off-broadway and off-off-broadway theater so I really want people to stop talking about diversity and start acting. Like yeah. I've had enough conversation. Mm-hmm. Like the conversation's been going on for like a thousand years. It's enough. You know, like too much talk, do something. I want to see the theater industry become more responsible for, you know, like they're always talking about like, oh, how can we be in a town where only what one critic says, you know, rules what happens. Well, it's your fault. You're letting it happen. I want to see them, you know, not only talk about wanting more critics of color, but going out and finding them Mm -hmm. and retreating and Facebooking and Instagramming and Snapchatting and whatever the kids are doing, the shade out of every, you know, person who's a critic who's not a white man. So, and I'll be, I'll do my best to to do my own part in that as well. Well, you're doing that panel that's going to be fantastic. Oh, now that you mention it. I did not pay Liz to mention it. But yeah, like I'm having, I set up a panel for BroadwayCon next year, January 27th at 4 p.m. at the Javits Center. It's going to be the first, I'm pretty sure because I've done my research, it's the first ever panel hosted, at least in New York, where there's not going to be a single white critic it's all critics of color and if you can show up that would be wonderful we also set up a gofundme because some of them are coming from other cities we're you know surprising that everyone lives in new york (laughs) so yeah if you can pitch in a buck or two or just like retweet and share whatever and we would love to see you there and if you can't make it to new york and to broadway con because you know new york city is fucking expensive please send us your questions like find us somehow and i promise that we'll make sure well i'll make sure to try to answer as many as i can i'll go to that oh we have so much work to do in 2018 (laughs) um yeah uh, uh uh men who work in this field who uh intimidate and humiliate and take advantage of and assault um as part of the course of doing business need to be fired and need to have their names known. Um, and the fact that hasn't happened yet is making me very impatient and very upset. We, this is an industry that only works because it is a community and because we are telling vulnerable stories that require emotional and intellectual honesty. If we are betraying that trust in these horrible ways, then we have no business being um, any part of this community or part of this field. No business telling stories. Um, and then the other thing uh, I would say is uh, I hope that 
we start reevaluating in a real way what a, what a great writer means. Uh, I'm getting really, <laughs> I'm saying this as someone who runs a program called the Emerging Writers Group. I hate the word emerging so much. Um, I want us to stop having uh, female writers and uh, trans writers and writers of color and young writers being relegated to the kids' table of the American theater mm-hmm. in workshop program after workshop program after reading after reading until they're ready when they're, I don't know, maybe 50 or something, and start understanding that the the people are at their most, artists are at their most creative when they are young. And if we're going to talk about diversity, actually start starting to put the most resources we can into fostering these voices uh, as early as we can is the only way we ensure a future for this field. And the fact that we keep patting ourselves on the back for having another reading series that has uh, artists of color in it while our main stages are super mm. male and super white is not a step in the right direction. It's, 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 it's building walls around the ways that we've ghettoed um, uh, writers and artists of all stripes. So I would love it if we stopped, started actually saying that more and actually taking it seriously and start putting <laughs> young artists of color on our main stages. That's, that feels like, yeah. Very well said. You just mm. won the role of my new best friend. Congratulations. I'm just fucking tired of it. It's just, it's not... Yeah. <sighs> we could talk more about it, but I don't want to right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben. Anything um, to add? Jack very eloquently spoke to a lot of the things that I wanted to speak to, so way to go. Thank you. All right. Um, what I want to add is is this. I want to stop... I want theaters to stop programming work by old people, by people who have had a, an insane amount of their work done already, mm-hmm. by people who are beyond established, by people who are wealthy, by people... The, the very few people who actually make money from being theater artists... So many of them have gotten their due. So many of them have gotten their ridiculous buckets of cash because we have (laughs) overrepresented them. We live in a field where there are a lot of resources that are given to too few people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what I hope we can do as a community, and what I have started seeing this year in some ways, um, i.e., like I saw you know back to i saw 175 plays i loved i like in the list that i made i loved 35 of them and a large i majority of those 35 was work by women and people of color because of course it was and because i actually had an opportunity to see it so let's keep doing yeah. that oh, yeah. yeah let's keep giving people those opportunities and let's as audience as audiences support the people who get those opportunities so everyone's like oh yeah let's give them all the opportunities like and let's give people who have Mm. never had opportunities opportunities and let's give people who have had like one or two opportunities like the bigger one and then keep churning through and make more opportunities so everyone can get everyone um and then personally um i spent a lot of the last year uh finishing my play my 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 newest play uh, i'm very online and so my goal is to do it See what happens. Yay. It's about uh, sort of about the alt right. Sort of, it's complicated. <laughs> it always is. All right. Well, everyone, thank you very much. This brings to a close the fourth year of the Max Mu podcast. I cannot believe Holy it has entered that yes. long. It's really 
quite shocking to me personally. <laughs> um, and you all made it possible. So thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for sticking with us and checking in every once in a while to see what crazy stuff we're up to. And we just appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank nope, you. Thank nope, you. nope, nope, nope. Then Thank we got to talk Lindsay. about you. No, we did not. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm Go turning ahead, this off. I'm Go turning ahead, this off. Orin, you're really good at this. You should do it. <laughs> you, why can't we just talk about this to memorialize it for years later? Just so you have it as as a memory that you can look back fondly on 20 years from now when it when there's more distance about what you've done politically, what you've done in theater. Is that what we're talking about? We're talking about Lindsay and how amazing she, the, the new Jones. senator from Alabama. Yeah, Doug Jones. Yeah. Well, but also Lindsay like as the name. tireless host, editor, yes. coordinator, everything of Maximu. Yeah. Lindsay is Maximu. Yes. Yeah. Advocate. Um, and Maximu is Lindsay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You guys. And Doug Jones. <laughs> so vote for Lindsay Barron's coming <laughs> yeah. on I'm Tuesday. For, I'm not running for anything. Why, Why the not? fuck not? No, exactly. that's not me. And then Let's tomorrow's New York Times alert that Lindsay is the artistic director of every theater. <laughs> <laughs> I would run down St. Mark's slapping every NYU student. <laughs> I would say let's just do that anyway. Let's, I mean, that Slap right. Yeah. You got time after this? <laughs> that sounds great. Slap right. Okay. Yeah. Damn kids. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can get to the store via Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. Happy holidays, and we'll see you next year. Theatrical Media.